You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. And welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Jeff Elliott, Chief Operating Officer for UWorld, whose tagline, which I really like, just boils it down to the essence. We make really hard stuff easy to understand. Uh, so invited Jeff on for a number of reasons, but first of all, uh, Jeff recently penned an essay for MarketScale called Why Failure Shouldn't Be a Dirty Word in Education. And if you indulge me, Jeff, I, I'm just going to give a brief snippet, um, if you can. Uh, th- there's only so much a student can effectively learn from a textbook. Sooner or later, they're going to have to practice a skill, and with practice comes struggle. Technology has reached the point where it can analyze a path taken to a solution, then shoot back in-depth explanations of why that path was a good route or if there was a more efficient strategy students could try. Quality ed tech tools that cut out gimmicks and clutter help foster a growth mindset. Far from distracting students from the work at hand, they can reinforce the educational value of struggle and help students build grit. So I thought that was a great provocative insight and a good way to start the conversation. Jeff, welcome to Remote Possibilities. Thanks, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. I guess maybe we start off, you could talk a little bit about UWorld. Um, You guys are right in the middle of everything right now, right? Yeah, we really are. Um, UWorld's been around for 18 or so years, started out uh, in medical education for students that were in medical school uh, studying for their uh, U.S. medical licensing exams, um, started by a physician, that quintessential uh, from the dorm room startup. And uh, Dr. Chandra Pemasani, our founder, was actually in residency when he was, um, you know, began the company. Uh, quickly grew in popularity, started offering things online, um, and uh, it just grew from there into from medical to nursing. Uh, so all all nurses, just like medical schools, have to pass, um, you know, an uh, achievement test in order to be a licensed nurse or a licensed physician. Uh, and then after after nursing moved into uh, MCAT, uh, uh, which is you know the medical school admissions test. Uh, And then since then, we've moved into a whole variety of other areas where it's really gone beyond test prep, Kevin. It's really more educating students on the how and the why. These are the things that they need to know in order to get into college or to be successful in their profession. And that's expanded from medical and nursing to uh, CPA, CFA, legal, uh, and of course, uh, college prep and college readiness. Now, was all of this uh, at the very beginning uh, online? No. So, well, it's a funny story. Yes and no, because the no is that Dr. Pemasani had created these clinical scenarios that students needed to know in order to pass their exams. He had written the scenarios. He had written the correct answers and why, you know, these, these answers were correct and these answers were wrong. 
Um, and he tried to get it published. He went around to the publishers and they kind of said, you know, that, you know, come back and see us, young man, um, when you finish school. And so he decided to do it on his own. And he did put it online initially at the very beginning. So this was at, right at the beginning, at, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, and that's how students started accessing it. And it just built from there. In fact, we as a company didn't have any print products at all. Uh, until we started doing a couple of acquisitions about a year and a half ago. Interesting, interesting. Uh, so, and this is all pre-pandemic, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, um, Kevin, because the, I mean, the pandemic really didn't, uh, I mean, obviously it affected all of us personally. And it, it affected, it's, it's affected very much our customers, the students that we work with, the faculty that we work with, um, but as a business, we just kind of kept going. We all used to be in the office with, with each other, collaborating and, you know, uh, working on these different content areas. And now we're all working from our, our homes, um, you know, but it's, we really didn't miss a beat. But what we found was that, uh, you know, mentally, psychologically, our customers were really struggling. And so we spent a lot more time with them and, uh, we've done things like given extensions when tests have been canceled or rescheduled and that kind of thing. Has the dynamic, how you provide your service changed as a result of the remote learning setup? No, it really hasn't. Um, and we were worried about that because we we have this really, really strong collaborative culture in this uh, world. And it's really interesting. You have this eclectic mixture of uh, certified, or I'm sorry, chartered financial analysts and lawyers and PhDs in biophysics and neurosurgeons and nurses and that kind of thing. And so we were used to being all together in this collaborative environment. And there was a real concern that we would lose that as we moved to remote uh, work. Um, but, you know, with, uh, Google Hangouts and Zoom and all the great technology available today, uh, we've been able to just keep, you know, keep going like we had in the past. Uh, really didn't miss a beat. I mean, we all miss being together. Um, you know, when we do things like everybody else, we have virtual happy hours, we have virtual lunches. Yeah. In, in addition to the meetings and that kind of thing. But so now with the, the, the coursework, uh, it was really already set up to be remote anyway, right? That's right. So that's that, right. okay. Yep, yep. So it was, now we, uh, yeah, so everything can be accessed through our platform. And we have this phenomenal, intuitive, really well-designed platform. Um, but some of our newer uh, verticals that we're in, I'm thinking of pharmacy education in particular, uh, every year in the spring, a big part of what that team does is they go to the campuses and they do live trainings, live teachings when, as students are getting ready to take their test. And these can be, you know, uh, one, two or three day sessions where it's eight hours a day of live face to face uh, review um, so that they can, you know, do well on their exams. So this all had to be done in a streaming environment this year. And uh, so we did have to change that up a little bit. The breaks looked a little bit differently. The way we chunked the content out looked a little bit different. Um, you know, but pretty much it was, you know, and, and it's, I think the thing, you know, if we do want to talk about consequences of 
of what happened with the pandemic, you know, I think a lot of people just were not ready for virtual learning. And so many tried to replicate the live environment in a virtual setting, and you just can't do that. It's, you know, it's just not the same thing. And so that's what um, we did a little bit of that in the pharmacy education. And it was okay, but it wasn't the same as being there face-to-face, -face, interacting with the students, um, you know, and delivering something in a live setting. Right. One thing I really was interested in getting your feedback about was the um, the idea of assessment. And so we we know we've been writing and talking a lot about you know, the K twelve space, uh, and you see what's happening with um, SATs and ACTs. And we can go back to your essay around the word word failure. <laughs> <laughs> but that is certainly, uh, I think we should send that over to the folks over there. You know, unfortunately, it, it just has not been a, a, a good situation where you see major universities saying, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to require it just because of the because of the circumstances. Now, you world, you guys cover everything, right? From CPA, as you as you mentioned, to the to the to the medical exams and. and um, can you talk a little bit about how you see the future of that sort of assessment and maybe how it's different, that the, the SATs and ACTs may be different than the, uh, the graduate school tests? Or just kind of give me your, your perspective on the state of assessment now uh, that we have COVID. Sure. Um, and I think, Kevin, you're, you're right on on these points. And I, there are certain aspects of this that will certainly continue to evolve and change. Um, but um, standardized assessments just permeate our life. They're everywhere we are, whether we're in school or in a profession. And, you know, you know, maybe looking at this in two categories, and we do, you know, we do both of these, you know, both the uh, aptitude tests like SAT, ACT, um, and MCAT, right? Those are you know, can you, will you be successful in this next setting that you're trying to get into? Um, but then we also, uh, the majority of what we do, um, and these, they work very well together, is the achievement test, you know, that really, you know, evaluate, um, you know, your skills and ability to apply concepts and knowledge in, uh, in your profession or, uh, you know, in, you know, in your mastery in a, in a, you know, in a school, in a high school setting. So, you know, uh, an achievement test is, you know, it's, it's like your eighth grade algebra test, or, you know, it's the USMLE for physicians, um, or it's something like, you know, the Woodcock Johnson or some of the other, like the NAEP scores, the nation's report card. Those are all um, achievement tests to measure, you know, whether or not you've mastered those skills. Um, so I think that, um, I think that the achievement tests have gotten very good and are pretty precise and do a overall a very good job of evaluating uh, skills and knowledge. The trick is that you can't just do a 45 minute, um, you know, multiple choice test to evaluate that. These are lengthy, they're complex, they take a long time. Um, whereas I think on the other hand, the um, aptitude tests like the SAT and the ACT, um, you know, there's a lot of variation there. Uh, even though they're, they're standardized, there's a lot of variation in experiences and they're trying to measure a broader, um, 
skill, you know, the success that you're going to have at that next level. So with SAT and ACT, it, you know, they really need to be combined with all these other things we know, like what were your grades in school? Um, you know, how did you do on your, if you took AP courses, how did you do on your AP courses? Um, your interviews, your essays, and then also uh, an important part is, uh, you know, kind of a, a fair evaluation of the responsibilities you had in high school, whether that was um, extracurricular activities, uh, volunteering, or uh, having a job to support your family, or family responsibilities to take care of siblings and that kind of thing. And so all those things really need to be combined uh, for that evaluation for these kinds of things. Do you foresee uh, a possibility of some of those achievement characteristics that you find in the, in the medical and, and it's in the, the grad school and the legal tests maybe creeping down uh, and replacing some of the aptitude aspects of SAT and ACT? Yeah, well, I think so. You know, um, there was a time... Uh, a few years back when California was doing the high school exit exams and some other states were doing the same thing. And so that would kind of be the equivalent of that, right? It, it would measure what's that cumulative knowledge uh, over the time you've been at school and are you ready to take that next step and, you know, and where are your, where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses and that kind of thing. And so the problem with it is, is they would all be different. And so universities uh, colleges are going to have a hard time using that as uh, a data point for trying to evaluate students across a whole spectrum of um, uh, schools. Do you see that, but is there a way to replace it with some other sort of technology, say digital portfolios, where uh, students' writing is being um, is being analyzed, uh, or maybe you know, video technologies where they're recording and it's almost like they could give a, a digital dissertation on their, on their, um, you know, their, their senior project or something like that. I mean, is that, is that something that's possible? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think something like that would have to have the assistance of some kind of AI because one of the problems that the, uh, uh, admissions boards, the college admissions, uh, advisors, counselors have is taking all this data and doing it in a way where, um, you know, they can evaluate, you know, 500 students over a period of a couple of months or three months, six months, whatever that might be. Um, that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, the high school grades, uh, the SAT, the ACT um, are a good kind of quick measure of, okay, you know, this looks good. Now let's look at everything else. Um, but it's, it's just, uh, you know, to, to go even further down the line, I mean, it, it's amazing to think about the state standards um, won't count for this year and most likely won't count for next year. Uh, and that's an, that's another aptitude style test. Right. Um, do we do we take this time to maybe build something new? Yeah, I think I think we need to take a step back and really do some self-reflection on what it is we're really trying to accomplish here. I mean, we've been like, you know, we've been on autopilot for so long. And I think, you know, it was the, you know, the, you know, the scandal earlier with uh, all the, you know, cheating on the uh, on the SAT that that really brought a lot of this to light, even though it's been going on for years and years. And 
Uh, there are, you know, a variety of, you know, misstarts in trying to, to make those changes, but I, it is absolutely a good time to do that. Um, like you said, you know, most of the schools, you know, because of access to testing, they've, they've waived that. And even before that, Kevin, you know, a thousand plus schools don't even require, uh, colleges that is, don't even require, um, you know, it's test optional. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be a good time. And, and clearly that's what the California uh, Board of Education is doing. The Department of Education in California is looking at doing their own test. And so maybe that will be, uh, you know, an example that uh, others can use and adopt down the road to make those changes. Right, right. It's just as a parent, it's mind-blowing to me. My oldest is, uh, just went through the process of um, SAT tests and whether or not you should, uh, you know, take it a third time, right, or, or get a coach to get yourself up over 40 points. And then my youngest very well may not even go through that same process, which just might be something completely different. Yep, you bet. And I, and I had three different experiences with three different kids. And, uh, you know, they all, you know, studied for and took the both the SAT and the ACT. And uh, a couple of them took it multiple times. Uh, and in the end, um, two of my kids went to schools that required it. And one of my kids went to a school that was test optional. And, and they all had some degree of test anxiety. I mean, that's the other thing. And that, that's, that's the thing that can, I mean, that's one of the areas that can really impact students in a, in a negative way. You can have a really sharp kid that just doesn't test well. And, and so I th that's one of the things that we really focus on here at UWorld is by creating almost an identical environment that you're going to be in when you take your high stakes test. And that's what you've practiced in and that's what you've learned in and that's what's given you feedback and tutored you over the you know weeks and months that you've been studying, when you go to take your test, you just feel like you're practicing. You just feel like you're going in to practice your um, you know your content, and and so it does reduce that anxiety quite a bit. So it's almost like you, going through the courses, you're building up a sort of muscle memory for when you are doing the real thing, huh? Yeah, you're doing that. That's a really good point, Kevin. You're building up that muscle memory, and you're also um, building that grit, that productive struggle that we talk about. Because as you go through, initially, you're, you're probably getting quite a bit of these answers wrong. And then once you get something wrong, you get this immediate feedback that says, okay, here's what you answered, and, and here's why a different path is better. And here is this other path, and here's why. And by going through that and really understanding why the answer is what it is and how you get to that point by going through that process is what really does build that, uh, that you know, continuous learning into students. Um, it's also in and of itself its own reward mechanism. You know how it is when you are not quite sure about something, but then all of a sudden that light bulb goes off because you have that new understanding, your brain has grown, you have um, you know, you achieve something else. It's a reward in and of itself. Right, right. Well, let's let's pivot back to uh, you mentioned grit just there, and that was really one of the um, the parts of your essay uh, last week that um, that that got to me. Um, where was the inspiration for the uh, for your failure essay uh, in the first place? <laughs> yeah, I bad think, day. Um, 
No, <laughs> that's good. I this this all goes all the way back to me in school. Um, you know, and uh, you know, working with my parents, working with my teachers, and and you know, someone that was there to help me to understand that by building that. Uh, curiosity and that determination into my learning, even though I didn't know something, I could learn it. That you know, my intelligence isn't fixed; that it's expandable. It can grow. It can improve. So it goes all the way back to that, and then raising three kids, um, you know, working with them, and then of course the work that I've done in education for the last 25 years. Uh, you know, initially <clears throat> working mostly with struggling students. Um, in middle school and high school, and then uh, moving into uh, AP, uh, and just really across the spectrum, you know, and across the country, you see, uh, you know, students who struggle. They feel like, you know, I don't know this, I can't learn this, and I got the answer wrong, and that's the end of the road. And um, just spending time with them and helping them to understand that, you know, it's not the end of the road, you just veer to another path and you learn this and you grow and just seeing that, you know, seeing that light go off in, in students' heads that they've, they've figured that out is just, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. And so, as you know, being in education, it's such a rewarding thing to see that happen. Um, so I guess it's not any one thing, Kevin, that inspired me to write this, but it's, it was something that was on my, heavily on my mind because you know, and, and I guess this is, you know, on my end, one good thing that came out of the pandemic is, you know, because so many kids were struggling and, you know, attendance rates were so far down for virtual learning and we know that there's going to be a big gap when school starts back up. Um, I thought it was important for us to start talking about this kind of thing again so that students and parents can uh, help each other with this. Well, I think it's good. And as I mentioned before, too, that... Um you didn't directly mention the pandemic, which is always something that I'm searching for at least once a day <laughs> to, yeah. to, to try to keep my mind off it. Yeah, you're trying, you're, you're trying to get away from this, we're all in this together kind of thing. <laughs> just, but just, just for like a, maybe a half an hour a day. You know? Yeah, it would be nice, right. <laughs> Into my hole. Well, let me ask you this. Were there interruptions to those other testing? So, you know, like the, the, the MSAT and the, uh, the, like, you know, the graduate oh. level tests? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Across the board, um, delays, uh, rescheduling, um, you know, uh, test dates being pushed back. And, you know, I mean, think of the anxiety that creates for a student who wants to get into medical school and all of a sudden they have a different test date and they're, they're ready to go. They're like, I'm ready, I'm going to ace the test, and then it gets rescheduled. Or it gets canceled to be um, done at another time. And an example of that is there was supposed to be a CFA level one test in May. That's the Chartered Financial Analyst. Uh, there's three levels to becoming a Chartered Financial Analyst. And that was supposed to be in May and it was canceled altogether. So December is the next test. Um, and it, for, for the most part though, they've just been delayed by uh, uh, you know weeks or a few months. Uh, the bar review is a good example where normally the bar review is in late July um, and now it's in September and October. And so, you know, there's that, you know, the delay, the anxiety. Um, and then, you know, you have on our end as a, as a provider to these students, our customers, you know, they, you know, they time their work 
in our on our platform to when they're going to have the test. And so, you know, we saw this issue out there for them. So of course, everybody got extended so that they would have their, you know, have their um, tools until the time that they were going to take the test. And so that's that's probably the biggest way it impacted us. Yeah, I've been um, writing a little bit about the idea of having a virtual gap year for everyone. Oh. That's interesting. I, I like that. I like that idea. And then if you can open the schools and higher ed, you know, continue to provide education, but don't, but don't assess it. And then, then it doesn't become a learning loss. Right. And then yeah. this time next year, we're all back right where we started. And now we can start assessing again. Um, yeah. That, I mean, it really, there will, I mean, Kevin, there's just no doubt there's uh you know we're suffering huge losses in learning here it just we just that's where we're at and so we you know it was already difficult to you know try to get students to mastery to proficiency in all these other areas and this is going to compound that but something that frees the mind that keeps students in that exploring and learning mode that gets rewarded in some way and is validated in some way i think that's a really good idea i like that and especially, as you mentioned, uh, in terms of uh, managing anxiety, like we all have enough of that already, let alone to worry about how you're going to do when you're in your SAT, right, or your, 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 your legal, <laughs> your medical uh, tests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, I appreciate your insights. Sure. Happy to happy to be here. And I want to thank everyone for listening and hope you click in again for the next episode of Remote Possibilities. I'm Kevin Hogan.